intention interior trucking companies if you are relying on facility insurance you could be overpaying reduce your insurance cost by 10000 or more per truck and good news we accept drivers with only 1 years of experience to learn more just send us text by typing insurance to 3653640714 thank you Welcome to another episode of the Dog on a Trucking Podcast, where this week we have our guest is Cherie from Vegans Inc. And we talk a little bit about the founder story, and then we get deep into safety department analytics and what your company might want to do with the analytics that are available. First, before we get into all that, let's have a word from our sponsor, and then we'll get right into the episode. COVID-19 has caused all kinds of problems in the driver training industry. Well, KRTS and Safety Dog might just have a solution for you. A virtual truck driver meeting held over the American Thanksgiving long weekend. And uh, if you'd like, see the brochure right there. And we have information uh, for you down below in the show notes. Now on with this week's episode. And welcome to another episode of the Dog on a Trucking Podcast. Our guest this week, Mr. Shree from Vegans. All right, Shree, how are you, my friend? Chris, I'm doing fabulous. I'm doing awesome. Thank you so much. Chris, I need to confess that, uh, you know, when, when I started the trucking business, there was a lot to learn for me. And, uh, you know, you are one of my sources for learning. I always uh, used to go on your website. I used to read your blogs. Uh, and later when you started the podcast, I started to listen to that. And, uh, you know, uh, I did work, but there were a lot of ideas uh, taken from you as well. So I'm honored to be here on your show uh, today, Chris. Uh, you know, you've become a very good friend. Uh, I know we've spoken many times. I've reached out and asked to seek advice and uh, always honored to be here speaking to you today. Well, thanks, Shri. Uh, I appreciate those kind words. However, the interview is about you and vegans. And for our viewers today, just so you know, we're going to do a little bit of the founder's message, or I'm going to be asking founders questions as to why Shri started his own company and digging a little bit there. And then we're going to get into um, the safety analytics for a trucking company, something that Shri is very passionate about. So those are our two subjects. We're going to do them in that order. And with that, Shri, why did you start Vegans? Oh, very, very interesting question, Chris. I just have to uh, dive back into my past a little bit here. Uh, you know, I've, uh, I've been a business person all my life. I've been an entrepreneur most of my life. Um, and I got this gene from my grandfather. My father was more of a working class. But, uh, you know, my grandfather was a very shrewd businessman. I think in the whole family, I'm the only one who got the gene, I guess. So I'm, I'm happy about it. Um, until 2008, Chris, I used to be in the granite and marble business, or we call it the natural stones. Uh, we used to import granite and marble from around the world. I had a huge warehouse here in Toronto, almost 40 to 50,000 square feet warehouse. And we used to distribute all over uh, Toronto, Montreal, Ottawa area. We used to dis distribute natural stones. 2008, the recession hit me really, very bad, Chris. Um, you know, the granite business is you buy in credit and you sell in credit. And, you know, you're literally going and begging your client for the money. And uh, 2008 was blessing in disguise. Um, you know, the, when the recession hit, I lost quite a bit. Uh, many of my clients declared bankrupt. And um, for two to three years, I did not know what to do. Um, you know, but 
we had quite a bit real estate properties and all that. So, you know, financially was, we were, we were okay, but I decided not to get back into that business anymore. I sat home for two to three years. And finally in 2010, 11, my wife said, enough is enough. Get off your butt and go do something. You know, how long are you going to be sitting in the house? So I said to her that, you know, I, I'm not going to be an entrepreneur anymore. I'm just tired. I'm just going to go and work nine to five. And so for the first time, I uploaded my resume at monster.ca. And I got a call from a competi- competition uh, who's in the market today. Uh, they wanted to make, they made me the general manager of the company where I was uh, overseeing 15 people here and then another 15, 20 back, uh, back in India. I could not last there for three months of the way that they were running the business. Uh, certain things did not gel with my own ethics and my own values. So within three to four months, I, I decided that I'm going to quit. And I said, my wife, this is not something that I want to do. I'd rather go back into real estate investment. And that was the game plan. Uh, the day I left the company, the next day, the owner called me and uh, threatened it that, uh, saying that I was planning to get into this business and I had a lot of confidential information about the company. And if I started this business, that he's going to sue me. Uh, honestly, I had no intention. But the fact that he said to me, I told him, that's exactly what I'm going to do uh, because you just threatened me. Uh, and that's exactly what I'm doing. And uh, here I am, 11 years later, uh, talking to one of the uh, well-respected uh, risk management consultants. So that's my short story on how I got into this business. I think it's kind of, uh, uh, I want to say humorous, in that uh, one of our mutual competitors yes. uh, threw the gauntlet down. And when you had no intention of uh, being a competitor, you quickly, it sounds like quite quickly, picked up the gauntlet and said, well, if that's what you think, then I'm going to do it. That's it. That's that's pretty, uh, I think it's pretty neat because of uh, the competitor must have been afraid of you, Uh, you know. I don't know what it is, Chris, but you know, um, you know, we we come, uh, you know, we come into a free world uh, like Canada, where you know the opportunity is there, and you know you're rewarded for the work and effort that you put, and nobody puts a gun on your head and tell you what you should do and what you should not. And to me, when that person said that to me, I said that's exactly what I'm going to do. You know, you had no right to tell me. Uh, you could have kept quiet if that call. If, Actually, indirectly, I thank him today because he made that call because I wouldn't be having this conversation. So, uh, you know, a blessing in disguise. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm one of the people that uh, I don't fear competitors. I respect them. And, you know, you and I are competitors in some of the uh, some of our offerings and, and what we can do for clients. We're very much in the same circles for sure. Uh, but, you know. For instance, John Farquhar recently started um, up as a competitor of both of ours. And I respect John and John's been on the show. Yes. You know, it's just good competition is good for the industry. Absolutely. And, and Absolutely. I love it. It lifts all of us up. So Absolutely. Cool. Uh, so that's how you started it. You've been in business for now, uh, well, since 2011? Yeah, a little bit, 11th year, you know, this will be my uh, 10 plus, yeah, 11th year right now I'm running. Uh, and uh, yeah, doing well, extremely well. And that's, you've been in business longer than I've been in business. I've only been in business uh, for, God, is it eight years now or six years? Six years, I believe. But, yeah. but, but you bring you bring years and years of experience in trucking. <laughs> like me. You know, from a natural stone to risk management, it's 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 a different ball game. But 
you know. It is, but there's several of the, of the items are similar. Uh, risk is risk. And when you started your own company, uh, whether it was in natural stone or as a safety consultant, there is risk involved. Absolutely. And so you've stepped up to the plate. Awesome. Uh, where did you get the name Vegas? Um, you know, initially there were two partners, um, you know, and it was basically our wife's name, um, you know, and that's uh, that's how we came up with the name. And then later on, within six months, I ended up buying that partner out as well. Uh, just basically we couldn't meet me eye to eye. And uh, uh, here, here I am. Yeah, it's basically the wife's name. Um, and uh, that's how we started. And uh, wagons it ended up instead of with a W, it's a V, you know, it's, it's got something to do with trucking and transportation, you know, so I don't know, it just. Uh, everything just happened. So it works. That's yeah. beautiful. That's right. Now, Vegans um, is much more than just a safety consulting company, isn't it? Yes, you're right. Yes, you're right. Uh, I also have a sister company called Vagans Legal Services. I'm a licensed paralegal. Um, interesting story behind that is in that 2014, actually, I decided to go and become a licensed paralegal. And I saw there was a huge need for that uh, to fill in that gap. Uh, Chris, of all people, you would understand this very well. Uh, you know, you're an expert on the CBOR. The number one, um, you know, issue in the CBOR that increases the overall safety rating is the conviction rate. Uh, you know, uh, and you know, and when when I started, you know, for the first two three years, and I'm trying to reduce the CBOR points and trying to do everything to, you know, reduce, you know, put risk management programs in place. We always found the conviction rate to be a huge problem. So one of my clients, I told him, can you give me your last 10 tickets so that I can go and do an assessment? I just wanted to go, kept on asking why, 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 and to figure out what happened from start to end. I noticed something, Chris, out of the 10 tickets that I went and reviewed, four tickets, three to four tickets were easily, uh, could have been fought in the court and could have won. And so my next question was, if the three to four tickets could have been fought in the court and won, why did this paralegal not go and fight and win it? What was the story behind it? So I, I started questioning it. And then I realized a couple of things, Chris, that A, not all paralegals that come out of school are really good at advocacy, meaning that they can stand in front of a judge and make an argument or stand and run a trial. There are really good paralegals and really good lawyers that they specialize and they train themselves, they teach themselves to go and do that. But most paralegals are getting the license and just running it as a business. And, you know, like in, like in any business, like even in your and my business, that was number one problem. And the second problem I found out, Chris, was that all of the 10 tickets were resolved in the first ERM, or we call the early resolution meeting. And, and that really shocked me and said, three to four out of this ticket could have gone into a trial stage. And if, if that was the case, why did this paralegal did not take it to a trial state and go and settle at an early resolution meeting? And when I kept on asking why, I found out something very interesting. Chris, the Law Society has a regulation that says that if I take $400 or $500 for a ticket from you, I have to take that $400, $500 and put it into a trust account and should not test that money until that matter is over. If it means that matter takes one year to finish, I'm not supposed to test that money. If I do 20% of the work, I can invoice 20% and take 20% out of that $500, but not the entire $500. So what I found out that most, most people, they had the intention to go into the first early resolution meeting and finish this matter and close that file so that they can transfer that money from their trust into the general account. And now they can pay their bills and all those kind of things. 
uh, law, law society is very adamant in, 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 in their trust account. I've been audited by the law society. And the only thing that they focus is on how are you managing a trust account? How are you documenting it? How is they don't even like one penny difference in the trust account and they take it very seriously. So, you know, uh, so what we found out, this is this is a major problem where, you know, people had more interest to go and uh, matter at the early resolution. So I said, you know what, I, I, I understand safety and risk management. I think I would be, you know, uh, uh, understand the severe related tickets. Uh, really well. And then I went to school for two years, basically said the wife and the kids, you know what, uh, two years, no evenings and weekends. That's what I'm going to go and study. Uh, and so I went and did my two years course to become a licensed paralegal. I got it in 2015, uh, late 15. Um, so I'm here. I'm running a very successful paralegal business as well. Um, just to tell you volume, some of the paralegals do anywhere from 40 to 50 tickets a day. That's the kind of volume that they do. So you can multiply the amount of dollar amount that I'm telling and see the volume of money that's sitting in the trust account, just, just to give you a, a glimpse of where it is. Yeah. And um, you're actually the third paralegal I've had on the show. I've had uh, two others before you um, yes. because it is a necessary part of our business, especially uh, for CVR being that uh, the CVR convictions is 40% of the overall violation rate you've got to control that yeah uh, you know so but today we're talking about safety analytics yes what do you do for your clients in the way of analytics or analyzing the safety events great question chris you know i um, um the, the the topic that i wanted to talk to you about analyticals uh, comes from a very strong business background um, you know, all the Fortune 500 companies have a CFO, CEO, COO, and, and they have a controller who are constantly crunching numbers. And they take those numbers and all the decisions that they make are based on those numbers, which are actual data. And, 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 and the success of the company is based on these. You and I know a lot of smaller companies, the owners are wearing multiple hats, let alone they have time to do any number crunching, period. They, they have no understanding it. Most people do not even understand, um, you know, the, what we call the T-core or the total cost of risk. When I talk to clients and I say to them, you know, hey, uh, first thing you and I know when, when they go to an insurance company, what is my rate going to be? What is my rate going to be? What, what, what are you offering me? And I said, you're absolutely wrong. They could offer you 500 bucks a month on, per truck. But if your total cost of risk is not controlled, you'll be paying $3,000 a month. And they ask me, what do you mean by that? I said, listen. You're paying, let us say, the normal rate today in the industry is anywhere from 15 to two, two grand. I'm saying 15, 1500 per month per truck, apart from your cargo. But you had five accidents. You paid $5,000 deductible or $10,000 deductible. Now, take that $5,000 deductible, add it to your cost of insurance. You lost revenue because the truck didn't go. Now, take that and add it to your cost of insurance. You lost, um, you know, uh, repair. You take that and add it to your cost of insurance. So now you're not paying $1,500, you're paying $3,000 per truck or $2,500 per truck. So what matters is not the cost of the insurance, but how, what is your total cost of risk? And what we have been able to do is, you know, um, monitor this, calculate this, you know, to the T, kind of pounding them and in, in the back and trying to get these numbers and show it to the owners and say, you know what, you don't think your cost of insurance is $1,500 per month. In fact, this year you had, 
you know, almost $25,000 to $3,000. And this were all the costs that you could kind of uh, mitigate. I'm just talking from an analytical point, just from a cost. You and I know, Chris, when you go and talk to a client, they look at safety as always as an expense. They do not connect it to revenue, you know. So for us to put this analyticals and say, by hiring Chris Harris or Sriram Ramangan or, you know, whoever, we are able to mitigate all this. And now we have to take those data analyticals and show it to them and say, last year you spent almost 50 grand and just in deductible alone. And this year we control that cost because through proper training, proper education of driver, proper monitoring and doing all this and look at all these numbers that's bought down. You had 50 grand back into your pocket to your bottom line. That's just one thing uh, from a cost perspective, basically connecting safety to revenue. And I think we should, we all do a way better job to do that and, and show that analyticals to that company and the ownership. Then they don't, then they stop looking at us as a cost, but now they look at us as, as, as an investment, uh, which is kind of very crucial. That's number one. The second thing, um, you know, uh, the heartbreaking, hard acceleration. Chris, you and I know for today, in today's world, insurance companies are not interested at looking at a, 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 a lipstick on a pig anymore, meaning they're not interested in a fancy paperwork anymore. They're sick and tired of it. They say, yeah, we know you guys sat overnight and you did a fancy work. You got some consultant to come here and put all this paperwork. But the paperwork that you're showing me is not correlating to the numbers that I see on the FMCSA. I'm not seeing that CVR. I'm not seeing those reflecting. The only thing that is going to change those things is the driver behavior. So most insurance companies point blank, they're telling, Stop doing the stupid things. Get back and change driver culture and behavior, and and come and 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 show a reduce the frequency. That's that's what they're coming in. How do we do this? Again, we track all these data analyticals. Our good friend Ward Walkington has his own driver scorecard. There's a lot more coming out like that. You know, which which are phenomenal tools that we can take, and not just say I'm having all this, but what are you doing with it? Are you kind of uh, dissecting it? Are you truly identifying those risk, uh, risky drivers and changing their behavior, if not letting them go? Uh, and then you will see more and more insurance company going to start asking for those kind of things uh, where they want to connect directly from the ELD data uh, and to drive uh, understand driver behavior. And that's the way it's going to be happening. So I see companies, you know, the way we are running Wagensing right now is we're becoming more a data analytical company, trying to gather different data points uh, we are actually building something as well um, and, and on the pipeline, it's too early for me to talk about it, but connecting different points. Um, just to give you on a high level, I think there are three areas that we need to understand from, uh, from a data analytical points in hiring a driver. One, taking his past behavior is so crucial. Uh, driving is a behavior. Um, so going back into CVR and abstract uh, and seeing the driver behavior for the last two to three years is so crucial in predicting what he's going to do moving forward. That's number one. Um, his electronic logs. Um, when we used to do paper logs, Chris, people used to say, you know, oh, no, ELD has come in, uh, you know, it is it is capturing everything. We do not need log auditing to be done. It is so not true. You need log auditing done even more than you had a paper log. And I'll tell you a simple reason why. When auditor came in and you gave them the paper log, auditor has to sit and figure out all the violations on their own. You either had 100 trucks, and if they take a sample of 30, 40, 30, 40 drivers, they have to sit and figure out, did he exceed a 770? Did he add an hours of service violation? Did he add a form and manner? You know now what auditors are doing? Oh, you're using keep trucking. Can you pull up the edit report? Can you pull up the violation report? Can you pull up the unassigned report? Can you pull up the uh, unplugged report? 
and they're going to sit there and say, holy shit, because you simply can't edit. Everything is timestamped. So it's beautiful that ELD came in because now the driver, the company has to change the driver behavior, period. Uh, the culture has to change because everything is timestamped. So what we say to client is that we have to audit your logs right now. There is no option. And we're going to identify the drivers and we're going to pound him to change his behavior so that now that behavior changes and then then you can print out all those reports and give because there'll be nothing in there because you've changed those driver cultures. So you see how those data analyticals, even though you have millions of it, if you're not taking it and if you're not communicating and using it um, to make informed decisions, uh, you're going to be royally screwed. Excuse my language. I don't know if I'm allowed to use that, but <laughs> that's the way it is. No, that's fine. And, and you mentioned uh, our mutual friend, uh, Ward. Yes. Uh, from Fleet Metrica. And for That's those right. people who are interested, I'll put a link for that in the yep. show notes below because that is a great scorecard and really yes. does help you manage manage your data and your information. So analytics, you talked about hiring a little bit. You talked about um, a lot of information there that uh, can be used in a driver scorecard. You mentioned two, um, acceleration and my favorite, of hard braking. What is it that you do with that information now? Great question, Chris. Um, you know, when I when I started all this, I needed to understand what it was. I have a very good friend named uh, uh, Sammy Shacker uh, from a company called Codzi Engineering, a great, great company. And they are basically forensic um, uh, science and they kind of recreate accidents. They work with all major insurance company. I'm not sure if you heard about them. We actually brought Sammy to our office and said, you know, we're going to have a lunch and learn session. You guys are the physicists and tell us what is this heartbreaking and how does this work and kind of educate us so that we can take it and we can truly understand it. Um, Sammy, I'm not a tech guy. I don't understand much of those fine details my, my team does. But on a high level, basically, every heartbreaking is not like danger. So a simple example would be an ideal, you know, break time would be, you know, to safe break would be. 10 to 12 seconds, and the driver is but slamming the brake in four seconds uh, before impact. Uh, that will be considered a hard brake. And, uh, you know, so even though your ELD is splitting out, the, is giving out this heartbreaking information, Chris, um, you got to put it in three categories, high, medium, and low, meaning which were those four seconds heartbreaking, uh, which were eight seconds and which were 12 seconds, uh, you know, what, what it is and separate it. And so then we can go and educate the driver and say, Listen, you you had five, four seconds heartbreaking and you were lucky. And the fifth time you're going to, or sixth time you're going to run out of your luck and you're going to go and slam somebody and kill somebody. And 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 taking this and educating and showing to the driver. Um, Chris, we did our own uh, driver scorecard and I got to tell you this truth. We actually put, based on these three facts, the past CVR, current hours of service and this heartbreaking, we created an Excel, uh, nothing like our friend, but something in Excel and we were able to predict a high-risk driver, uh, you know, with a margin of error of between 10 to 7%. That was pretty close. I, I thought that was very impressive what my team did. And we narrowed it down and said, 10 of these drivers are 300% likely would have ha going to have an accident in the next 12 months. And the next one are with us. When I showed it to the owner, when I was doing a safety meeting, he says, no, Sri, you can't put this up here. You can't put the driver names up there. Drivers are going to freak out. They're going to quit me. I said, you simply have to trust me. I got to do this. And when we did this, very interestingly, most of this driver stood up and said, can you explain to me why my name is on the red? Obvious question. We knew that was coming in. Then we had to show them and say, this was the reason. You know, you were slamming the brake and 
had 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 this violation. And all of these drivers, Chris, and they said to me, you know what? I wish somebody had told me this because you know driving is a behavior. I didn't even realize I was doing this mistake. I wish somebody had told this to me. I would have changed my behavior. And we saw a tremendous change in those driver behavior. Many times I find owners have this vision in their head, but they simply fail to communicate to the respective parties or their team that that's what they want to achieve. I said, just open up and tell, this is what I want and tell them and then and your team is going to go and achieve it. And when we communicated with the drivers and started monitoring, those drivers started changing their behaviors drastically because now they stopped driving from their subconscious mind to their conscious mind. Because how many times you and I have gone home not even knowing the direction? We just drive and we reach home and, and these drivers started seeing and we started seeing tremendous difference actually taking the data that is available and educating them. A lot of work, but I think you put the three to four months of effort continuously, and then you sit back in a cruise control and just watch who is violating because most of them start changing. Yeah, and one of my clients, I was looking at their driver scorecards and reviewing it with the drivers individually. And it was amazing to me, hard breaks over one month. Um, it ranged and the whole company does the same lane. Yes. All right. So um, it's a fair comparison to compare one driver to another. Yeah. The On one extreme, uh, well, I shouldn't say it was an extreme. There was like four drivers that had more than 80 hard breaks in a month. Wow. And several drivers were down well under 20 hard oh. breaks per month. And, and uh, there was quite a few actually under 10 hard breaks per month. And when you share that information with the drivers and say, hey, driver, why do you have the one extreme case was 96 hard breaks in a month Yeah, and compared to the low of six in a, yeah. in a month? Yeah. Like there's something just fundamentally the way that one driver with 96 is driving when you compare it to the other driver. And yeah. I reviewed those six, by the way, with the one driver because it was up on video. Yeah. And none of those, um, for some reason, he was coming up to a few red lights a little harsh. That's what it was. It wasn't actual events that would have caused a crash in those six hard breaks. So it was just, yeah. to me, it's critical data. And if you're not managing it, yeah, you're really missing an opportunity to reduce crashes in your fleet. We found a simple, plain communication, Chris, nothing else. The has to take it and simply very firmly and politely communicate with the drivers and we find that the drivers are simply listen to, listening to it they're not challenging it and they they truly want to change but like i i know you know before i got into safety i used to get a lot of speeding tickets i i've been notorious speed driver but you know what what we call the iron footed and uh, you know once i realized you know, I'm, I'm getting into this and, you know, I, I see more about risk management. I, I kind of understand it. But there are a lot of people like me in the past and in the present right now who do not, you know, it's like driving is like a second nature. You know, they do not re realize it. And I think that education would make a huge difference. Yeah. That, and I really do suggest that all of the trucking industry needs to better manage their data. I shouldn't say all, um, but many, certainly the smaller fleets of 50 and under who don't often have a dedicated safety professional that manages it, you might want to consider having somebody manage it for you, which is exactly what Bacon's does, correct? That's right. That's right. Yeah. You know, what else should we know about Bacon's? Shree? Um, 
you know, dedicated team of staff, you know, Chris, I, I, I used to be a one-man show until 2015. You know, we, we've grown up a team uh, to almost 20, 25 people and still growing very strong. I, I kind of realized, you know, um, there's only so much of me that I can go and, you know, talk. And then after some point, you know, that that I we kind of run out of it and, you know, that I'm not able to go. So we have a very, very strong, dedicated team. Uh, we train our team, uh, you know, as I don't know if you've seen, I spend a lot of money bringing my team to conferences and, you know, I spend all those kind of things. And, you know, there's a risk of losing staff and, you know, your trained staff, but at least as long as they're with me, they're trained and they're educated and they perform well. And, you know, they have to go. And I, I wish everybody, just like me, you know, I, I started working for somebody and someday I wish to become an entrepreneur and I run. And everybody has their own goals and dreams and, and I wish them all well. Um, you know, so we, we kind of we grow like that. Uh, we have something very interesting coming up. Uh, unfortunately, we are at a, a stealth stage right now. Uh, you know, maybe this will be a segment for another time. Uh, uh, I'm also getting into the autonomous trucking. Uh, so I don't know if you saw my LinkedIn profile. It would say, uh, you know, uh, director of operation, uh, self-driving trucks. Something very interesting. Uh, it's just a teaser that I'm throwing out right now. But, uh, you know, we, we've spoken to some of them in the industry already. Get some really good stuff going in there. So that'll be a next phase for Wagon Sync um, into truly uh, mitigating risk, uh, you know, how, how the system is going to take over things. But that's much what the founder said that I'm allowed to speak today about it. But <laughs> well, it is what it is. What you may not know is that uh, I'm a big Tesla fan. Okay. Um, and of course, Tesla is uh, really big into autonomous. Yes. And uh, they've got their semis coming out and that. And I think I'm about to take delivery of uh, a Tesla. Oh, nice. So, uh, I'm excited about that. Uh, yes. Although I did not, at $10,000, I did not get the uh, full self-driving package. Yes. <laughs> That's, it, it's a, a steep investment. Um, however, it, uh, on my lives that I do most Mondays at uh, 1 o'clock, I often talk about what's happening. You know, there's uh, True Simple. And yes. uh, local locomotive, I think, is the other one uh, that are also large into um, autonomous vehicles. That's right. You're right. Uh, and then, of course, Uber and um, they have a whole division that's uh, looking at it. Waymo is looking at it. Um, and I don't know if you know this about the Model Three and I oh, and, and the Model Y. You, uh, the Tesla vehicles, when you lease them, you're not allowed to purchase them at the end of the lease. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, you cannot purchase them. And that's because Elon is uh, anticipating having a fleet of robo taxis. And these off lease vehicles are going to be the fleet. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. So, yeah. Anyways. Um, I know we've got all your information. If somebody wants to reach out and contact you, we're going to have that in the show notes below. Yes. Last word. What would you, do we cover everything you wanted to talk about in, under analytics? Um, anything else we should know about Shree? No, that's pretty much, uh, Chris, you know, uh, you know, uh, is the, we, we have a philosophy within Wagon Zinc is, um, you know, there's two things we call uh, communication and transparency. Uh, it's, it's kind of, uh, that's, that's our motto here. You know, we, we communicate and we are very transparent, even when we screw up, uh, you know, uh, just call the client and say, you know what, you're really good, but you know what, we screwed up. And, and, you know, straightforward. That's, that's one motto that we have in Wagon Zinc. But otherwise, 
I, I think you covered most of it, Chris. Um, you know, I, I, I had the opportunity to meet many, many uh, great friends and, uh, you know, uh, people that I've learned from this in, industry, from insurance and trucking, uh, truck owners. And it's it's been a phenomenal. This, uh, you know, COVID did not stop us down at all. We've been growing crazy. We opened up a division in the U.S. in Michigan. Uh, we did some work for a large corporation in the U.S. So a lot of exciting stuff. So I'm, I'm excited. Well, congrats. And thanks for coming on the Dog on a Trucking Podcast, Shreya. I really appreciate your time. Um, and we'll talk when you have those stealth projects no longer in the stealth mode, please. We'll get you back on the show and you can talk about them again. Absolutely. My pleasure. Anytime. All right. Thanks, thanks Shreya. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Bye. I hope you loved the show as much as I did. Please leave us a like, a thumbs up, a review, a comment, a rating if it is in your heart. Thank you so much. And I do really appreciate your time. And join us again next week for another exciting interview.